Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank God for His holy written word. I'm going to talk to you about a subject the Lord laid upon my heart, and it's called living to please God. Living our lives in such a way to please God. And so we're going to begin by looking in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 from the English Standard Version of the Bible. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul, what are you praying for about these Colossians? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Well, why, Paul? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, they're already Christians. But he's praying that they would have this understanding so they can walk in a manner pleasing the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. Our primary purpose for living is to bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, he wanted them to have the revelation that they needed to live a life that was pleasing to God. In other words, be a God pleaser, not a self pleaser or a people pleaser. Well, what about us? I would think he would have the same prayer for us, right? That we all should live our lives to be God-pleasers, not people-pleasers or even self-pleasers. Well, the thing is, though, how can I be a God-pleaser if I don't know what he expects from me? How can I be a God-pleaser if I don't know what pleases him? Those are good questions. Whenever I do premarital counseling, what I do is I have the people the couple sit down and write out 25 expectations that they have of each other. And I do that because, let's put it this way, if he doesn't know what he expects of her, how can she know what he expects of her? And if she doesn't know what he, what she expects of him, how can she know? How can he know what she expects of him? Well, if I don't know what God expects of me, how can I please him? And instead of navigating through life, this couple trying to figure it out in darkness, would it be a whole lot nicer men if we know what she expects? Wouldn't it be a whole lot easier? But for some reason in a fall, what happened was this. Women want men just to know it. We're not that smart. We're just not that smart. Enlighten us. Tell us. We'll do it. Did you ever see the dating game? These, you know, um, they sit in the car after, especially after having three kids, and they're like disheveled, and they're sitting in the car. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I don't know. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I don't know. I have them write down top ten date nights. They even give suggestions. Twenty suggestions. Instead of spending the whole half an hour or their whole night with a babysitter. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to go? What do you want to do? I don't know. They have it all written out. Fella, just pick one of the top ten. You'll be okay. How important is it to know it's important? That's why he said be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we can know how to walk in the life that's going to, a life that's going to please God. Well, Jesus knew. Look at John 8, 28. Jesus knew what pleased his father. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Well, how can you do that if you don't know? So apparently he knew. And did the Father acknowledge this? Oh, yes. Look at Matthew 3.17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Oh, isn't that wonderful to hear those words? Isn't that beautiful? This is my son. I'm well pleased. In another passage, he said, hear ye him. Listen to him. He'll tell you what to do. Well, since you and I are supposed to be followers of Jesus, are we not? Isn't he our example? What I want to do is address some questions about what pleases God. About pleasing God as revealed to us in the scriptures, 
Why? So that we all know how we can live our lives to please him. And so the first one I want to answer is, why should I live my life to please God? Isn't it my life? Do you ever see on a high when you're driving down the road and click, uh, you know, put your seatbelt on? And then people started saying, but it's my life. Well, it may be your life, but it's his law. It's their law. Well, this may be your life, but it's his law. And he gave you the life, and he gave us laws to govern it. Did he not? And if there's anyone that has a right to establish laws that govern our lives, who is it? God. And you might think, well, I'll just do what I want to do with my life. I know, but there's an eternity to answer for. Can you say amen to that? All right. So, number one, Romans chapter 14. We're talking about reasons why that we should serve God and live for him. And number one is because of the coming judgment. And in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, this is from the King James. So then every one of us, every one of us, in case someone thought they'd be left out, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. The word account means an oral discourse. Before I comment, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to what? Is that your goal this morning? Is that my goal? It should be to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Whoa. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So apparently, but matter of fact, I have one more to it. It's not in your notes, but Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said that every idle word that a man shall speak, he will give an account thereof on the day of judgment. Would you agree with me that it's easy to live your life without even thinking about what I just said here? You know, you get up in the morning, you've got things to do, you've got to go to work, you've got to go to school, you've got all these projects that are going and all that, you're just going about your day and you're not really thinking that. You know what? One day I'm going to stand before the very throne of God, the Bema judgment seat of Christ, and have to give an oral discourse of how I live my life on this earth. I'll tell you what, thank God for the blood of Jesus. Because I read somewhere in the Bible where it says, judge not, and you won't be judged. I'd rather be that person. What about you? I'd love to, you know, just to play right before the Father, and he looks at all my life and says all these different things. You know, you did this wrong, that wrong, that wrong, that wrong, but you didn't judge other people, so I'm not judging you. Isn't that good to know? Amen. So would you call that a powerful motivation for us to live our lives to serve God because one day we're going to stand before his throne and give an account of our lives? Yeah. I know some people think that, but I'm tough, I'm rugged. Really? He walked on water. He calmed a stormy sea. He spoke to a dead man four days decaying and brought him out of a grave. How strong are you? How powerful are you? How great are you? He made the heavens and the earth to see and all that in them is. He calls all the stars by their names. Number two. Second motivation, I believe, is even greater than the first motivation. Why we should serve God with our lives. To show our love for him. Think about this. You and I were lost for eternity. We would spend our eternity in a lake of fire where the worm, where the fire dies not, where the worm doesn't die, and the fire's never quenched. And we would spend our eternity in that place of eternal, horrific suffering, except for Jesus coming. God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. And with Jesus, we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. With Jesus, we have blessings untold. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places we've been blessed with. In Jesus, we have assurance of eternal glory. In Jesus, we've got peace that passes all understanding to keep our hearts and minds. So in other words, in Jesus, we've got so much, so many blessings that we've been blessed with. How can we not love him, serve him, and please him? How can we not want to find out what does please him? Because you see, if we really love him, we want to please him, do we not? And of course, we want to please the Father, 
We want to please the Spirit. We want to be pleasing in the sight of the living God. Look at John 15 and verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Remember one place he said, how can you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I'm asking you to do? So in other words, I need to find out what he wants me to do. I need to know his commandments and follow them. And if I don't have any desire, then how can I truly say that I love him? If I don't have a desire to, you know, find out what they are. Now, this is not talking about us being born again because you've already been accepted in the beloved. And trust me, this is not a message of guilt or condemnation. You understand that? You're a child of God. But you know, we're living in a day right now where it's like anything is acceptable out there in the world today. And there are no laws. There are no rules and regulations. People just view life the way they want to. They view religion the way they want to and all that. But you know what? The creator has a right being the creator, the manufacturer of our lives, to give us the guidelines by which we are to serve him and please him. And he's pleased even when we just make the effort to find out, oh, I didn't realize you didn't want me to fear, Lord. I didn't realize that. You said not to worry, Jesus. Not to worry, but you don't understand. I've been a champion warrior. I've got blue ribbons when it comes to worrying. And you want me to get rid of my worry? Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. and you'll see why in a moment. But the second reason is because we want to show our love for him. Jesus, you went to a cross and you suffered and died and you bore the wrath of God for me so I don't have to throughout eternity. That's a long time. Whew, I owe you my allegiance. Can you say amen to that? And then thirdly, the benefits. And there are benefits. Proverbs 16 and verse 7, there are benefits. And again, these are not exhaustive, but they're just a few things. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Would you call that a benefit? In other words, he turns your enemies into friends. And when a man's ways please the Lord, that means he's walking in love, demonstrating love, overlooking the faults and the failures of other people, praying for people, and as a result, that even your enemy can become your friend. Why? Because the hand of God will be upon that person to change their heart and change their mind towards you. But then also, it gives place to an abundant life that we can live in God. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4 and verse 1. This is from the Amplified, classic version of the Amplified Bible. Furthermore, brethren, we beg and admonish you in virtue of our union with the Lord Jesus that you follow the instructions which you learn from us about how you ought to walk so as to please and gratify God. See, he's writing to believers, but he's correcting something among them because they, in some areas, weren't pleasing God. But it goes on to say, as indeed you are doing in that you do so even more and more abundantly attaining yet greater perfection in living this life. Now, I don't know about you, but as time goes on, he is saying to us, we're becoming more mature in, in God, more mature in the things of God. And what's God's desire for us? To grow up into him in all things, even Christ. So in other words, by the end of our days on this earth, we should be more Christ-like than we were when we first got saved. But it's sad to say in some scenarios, it's just the opposite. Some are less Christ-like at the end of their days than they were when they first got saved because they were so on fire for God, serving God, loving God. You see, we're living not, we're running a race that's not a 100-yard dash or 100-meter dash, but it's a marathon. And, you know, we have enemies that are out there trying to do what? Discourage us from going forward in God. But we're going to show you in our lesson this morning that you're not alone doing this and living this life. God has grace for you that will empower you to carry out the purpose of his will in your life so you can live a life that's pleasing to him. Okay, next, what does it mean to please God? What does it mean? Okay, so now I want to please God with my life. I want to see to it that I live a life pleasing to God, but what does that mean? First and foremost, Hebrews, it actually means that we learn to live by faith and walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I know that might sound simple, but it's not as simple as it sounds. We've been governed by our five physical senses ever since we've been born. And our five physical senses want to determine our actions, our behavior, our attitudes, and all that. But God says, no, 
I want you to learn to live by faith, by faith, which is a sixth sense, so to speak. And that sixth sense you can develop. Why does he want that? Because he wants us to trust him with our lives and our eternities. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 5 and 6 from the King James Version. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. What a statement. This man was just suddenly taken away from the scene and taken into heaven without dying. Well, it goes on to say, for before his translation, he had this testimony. What was his testimony? That he pleased God. Wow, we can learn something from that, can't we? He pleased God. Okay, then it goes on to say, but without faith... See, if we just isolate that one verse, then sometimes we lose something. Now it tells us, but without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. Whoa. I guess we better begin here. Because you see, he that comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So, in other words, if living by faith is what pleases God, there must be a diligent search and learning how to do this because we navigate through life through our five physical senses and even in the academic world you know there are those that are out there just at the beginning of course you know we go all the way back for where they thought that the earth was flat but man has grown since then wouldn't you say people thought man couldn't fly well man still can't fly but he built an apparatus that can get him to the moon right so over the years man has progressed and man has grown has he not well, the same thing is true for us. We need to realize that there's certain things that exist beyond this realm of life of the seen world that we need to embrace. So anyone that says, I want God in my life, I've got to believe that he is. He's a reward of those that diligently seek him. And I'm going to seek him beyond what my five senses tell me. Faith is the substance of what you hope for. It's the evidence of what you do not see or I do not see. Faith perceives as fact what's not revealed to the senses. So, for example, do you believe in uh, radiation? You believe it exists? Can you see it? You know it exists, but you've never seen it. Do you ever get concerned as to why when you're having an x-ray, everybody else runs behind another room and leaves you by yourself? And there you are. Where'd everybody go? What are they running from? Something they can't see. Have you seen carbon monoxide? But you know it works, you know that's there, you can kill you, can take your life. Anybody ever see ultraviolet rays? Did you ever get a sunburn? Even though you don't see them, they exist. So he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So if I am going to live by faith, I've got to live beyond what my five physical senses tell me. And this world is governed by five physical senses. Now, look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Look what they tell us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll direct your path. So what am I to trust Him with? My heart. Has your heart told you there's something beyond this world? Has your heart told you there's something beyond the grave? Has your heart told you that there is a living God that made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is? And that Jesus Christ, even though I may not see him or have never seen him, he very much walked this earth. Praise God, took my place on a cross where he suffered and died. And God raised him from the dead in the view of all that were there. Even though they tried to hold him down, they couldn't hold him down. Soldiers couldn't hold him down. A rock couldn't hold him down. Devils couldn't hold him down. Demons couldn't hold him down. Death, hell, and the grave couldn't hold him down. He's alive and showed himself alive to 500 people at one time. Hallelujah. Which is why we're all here today, right? So I got to believe that I can trust a God who I cannot see with my life by believing the revelation of his word when he tells me, when others say there's no hope in God, you say, but you, O Lord, you're a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of mine head. So we need to learn to, uh, to walk by faith. But the number two, how, what, when, what, by what means do we please God? By discovering and doing what he has revealed to us or what pleases him in his word. That's what we do. It's up to us 
So, but this is not a religious book, believe it or not. This is life's roadmap. This is the map to eternity. This is the map that gets us into eternal glory and prevents us from entering into eternal fire. That's what this book is about. It's not religion. Now, people have made it religion, but this is a reality. It is truth that Jesus came to reveal to us. Amen? And so it's up to us to open the book. I grew up in a religion where I was discouraged from reading the book, the Bible, and studying it and told that I couldn't understand it. I accepted that. But one day someone told me, go read John 3, 3, and I've been reading it ever since. Except a man be born again, he will not enter into or perceive the kingdom of Almighty God. Jesus said, you must, must, must be born again. And I'll tell you what, my life was committed to it from that point on. And I began to open up my Bible, for what reason? Not religious purposes, but to find out what it says about God's expectations of me. He wrote down the expectations. Now, these two people I talked about earlier... I don't let them look at the expectations they have of each other till they come and see me again. And I say, now switch. And you just see sometimes the light bulbs that go on and they go, oh, really? You expect that from me? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't realize that. See, it makes them think beyond the box, outside the box when it comes to the relationship. Just get beyond the, the puppy love. We're in love. You want to get married and so on and so forth. You know, thank God for that kind of love that starts the whole process rolling. But after 25 years, are you still weak in your knees? I'm so in love. Are you still that way 25 years later or are you just committed? You still love them, but I'm saying you, you, the, the puppy love might be a little bit uh, removed, but you're still there. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Number one, how can I know what pleases him if I don't know his expectations of me? And if I don't have any desire to open the book to find out his expectations, how can I say I love him? So if she gives you 25 expectations and you go, throw it in the fire, I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that. And vice versa. How can you say you love someone if you're not concerned about what pleases them? And you don't want to know their expectations. Hmm. Okay. These are just a few. Do not forget or neglect to do kindness and good. To be generous and distribute and contribute to the needy of the church as embodiment and proof of fellowship for such sacrifices are are what? Pleasing to God. You realize that if you're a person that says, I want to please God, you go around the church, not necessarily just the church, in your community, in your neighborhood, you find someone in need and just say, hey, let me help you. That pleases God. Why? Because we're not thinking about ourselves only. We're not just self-pleasers. I want to bless you. I want to help you. I want to care for you. I want to show you some things, you know, and that is the love of God. In other words, let God love them through you is, is basically what he's saying. Look at the next one. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20. And parents, fathers in particular, I'm thinking about raising the ante. You might have to pay me a penny at the door for this comment. Okay? I'll put it back in the offering. Promise. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Did you get that? What's well-pleasing to the Lord? In a society and culture right now, when it seems like as though no one respects authority, what are children instructed to do in the Word of God? Obey your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing. So if a young person out there, and I really wish I could go back, oh, I'm sure we all would like to go back and do it over again. You know, we would want to go back and just say, you know what? This gives me leverage with God. 
Because you said, if I obey my parents and the Lord, which is right, this is the first commandment would promise, that it may be well with me and I live long upon the earth. So I'm going to sow the seed of obeying my parents in all things, knowing that you are going to provide for me the things I need to have a life that's a wonderful life. That it may be well with me, that I may live long on the earth. But you see, once again, what we discover is that it's not easy to rear up children in the way that they should go because of the rebellious spirit that entered into this realm that we live in when Adam and Eve made a decision that they were not going to serve God, but they took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so rather than just being fruitful and multiplying and creating a beautiful, wonderful atmosphere in like in the garden, now we bring in all the enemy's fruit into this world in which we live. So it's not an easy thing. And young people, it's not easy for you even to submit to the authority of your parents, especially in the culture that we live in today, when we've got even in our school system sometimes tell you that, you know, parents don't have to know this, that parents don't have to know that. And we won't get into depth of that. But if you're a young person, obey your parents. Actually, be honest with you, it doesn't matter how old you are. If your parents are still alive, show them respect. That's well-pleasing to God. Can you say amen? All right, look at the next one. And now... Roll up your sleeves with me, everybody. You ready to roll up your sleeves? Don't get offended. Because if the Word of God offends you, it's supposed to. It's supposed to get you where you live. Sink down into your heart. Renew your mind. You ready for it? As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. See, they're already Christians. Nothing to do with their being a Christian. As in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Whoa, whoa whose authority is this? Am I preaching this? No, he is. He is. So you see... I'm deflecting it. It's not on me. I'm just passing on what Jesus told Paul to tell the church of Thessalonica. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. What's he referring to right there? You commit adultery with some, a brother's wife or husband? Hmm. That doesn't please God. To the point where he says he will punish all those who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. We're living in a society and a culture right now that basically just says, there are no guidelines. Okay? We're going a step further, deeper. Is that okay? Okay, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Let me, and before I even read it, let me say this. There'll be a time when people think, and maybe I thought myself, that if you really love somebody, no matter what their lifestyle is, you're just, you know, you're just going to love them and just say, okay, we just uh, accept what you're doing and, and all that because you know, we don't want to offend you and all that. And that's what we're told in our society today. Just love everybody. Just love everybody. Love everybody. Okay? You know what? What about this? Do you really love them? Or do you hate them so much you want to see them eternally be in the lake of fire? Answer that question. If you really love someone, you don't want them to be in the lake of fire forever. Is, is that true? Now, they might get upset with you for pointing this out. But remember, I'm not saying it. And this idea that says pastors shouldn't preach from their pulpit about things that offend people. 
I don't say offend, I say challenge. Did you come to be challenged this morning? Or just have me tickle your ears and just say what you want to hear and make think everything is okay? Don't you realize that those, he's talking to Christians, born again, blood washed, spirit filled Christians, tongue talking Christians. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves, greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by the calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Remember what Thessalonians said, even though the Spirit of God? We're not rejecting man, we're rejecting God, who said, I'm letting you know what pleases me. I'm letting you know what displeases me. And when it comes to this, this here identity problem, this identity situation in our culture today, we need to point people to a God who changes lives. Can you say amen? amen? And not just tell them, just go with it and do what you want to do because it's your life and live the way you want to live. If we love them, we'll let them know. Here's what I say the problem is. People aren't preaching behind the pulpit that there's power in the gospel. There's a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. There is power to change a human life. He said, "You, some of you were that way, but you've been changed by the blood of the Lamb. You've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You've been delivered by the blood of the Lamb. You've been made whole by, you've been given a brand new life by the blood of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit and by the grace of God to live the life that He wants you to live. You're not doing it on your own. What they need to hear is, we understand, and our hearts of compassion are just, just poured out to you. But we want to help you by pointing to you, you too, a God who can change you from the inside out. Absolutely. And give you a new identity in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he'll correct those things. All right. Now, yeah, I have that in, there, in your note. You're on the honor system. Sometimes we think it's because we're getting away with something that there's no consequences. Nothing could be further from the truth, and that's exactly what the enemy wants us to think. But the point is, we're on the honor system. We can choose to do what we want to do. We don't have to ever pick up this Bible. We don't ever have to reach out to anybody in love and help them along the way. We don't have to. We don't have to avoid uh, those things he's talking about there, whether it's immorality or adultery and all. Guess what? David was a man after God's own heart. Was he not? And I want to mention that here in just a moment. But even as man after God's own heart, if he didn't stay with it daily, you can fall. You can fall far away from God. Because this man after God's own heart, who had more women than he really needed, saw Bathsheba, and he allowed his fleshly desire to take over, committed adultery with her, got her pregnant to hide his sin. He got a hold of her husband, Uriah, who was off at war and brought him back from war, tried to get him to, to be with his wife so that they could say that it's his child. And then when he saw that he was a man of righteous integrity and said, I'm not going to do that because my brother's at war. Why should I be here having a good time with my wife when my brother's at war? Okay. He got him drunk. He, he, got, he got him to a place to where he finally just said, okay. He sends him off to war, but he tells the other leaders there, send to the front. And when he goes to the front, withdraw, let him die. Does that sound like a man after God's own heart? Doesn't to me. We got to stay with it daily. Well, he didn't. And he, he opened himself up to a lot of hardships along, along the way after that. So it's a, it's a daily walk with God. And it's a day, daily fight, fighting the good fight of faith for every one of us. Okay, uh, maintaining a right heart attitude, and this is so key. Maintaining a right heart attitude toward God and toward His Word. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 from the New Living Translation. For we speak as messengers approved by God, approved by God, to be entrusted with the good news. It's good news, not bad news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the 
motives of our hearts. It wasn't as much as what he did, that is David, what he did, as it was what happened to his heart, a heart after God. Think about that statement. It wasn't as much as the outward as it was the inward. Look at 1 Samuel and chapter 16 and verse 7. If you know the story, Jesse had many brother, uh, many sons. And here we have David being the youngest one. And Samuel the prophet began to anoint one of them to be, was told to anoint one of them to be the next king of Israel. And when he went to the next, this one, that one, this one, that one, this one, that one, this one, that one, what, what happened? They were well-trained individuals, probably strong individuals. And he wanted, one of them from the outward appearance could have looked like someone that could have taken over the throne. But the Lord said to Samuel, look not on his countenance, how handsome he is at his height, whether he's as tall as I am or not, of his stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord sees not as man seeth, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? On the heart. He knows outwardly we're going to miss the mark. We're going to have what it takes to in perfection serve him. He knows that. But ready for this? If we feed the heart the right way, he'll help us manifest it externally through our lives. See, when David's heart was right before God, he could withstand a lion. He could withstand a bear. He could withstand a giant by the power of his God. And even though in the natural he didn't have the skills or abilities to do that, God empowered him to do it. You know, the 23rd Psalm is a beautiful psalm. And you know what? It's so sad that it's basically used religiously today, especially at funerals. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want him. He's blind and green pasture. Leave me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Leaves me to pass rice for his name's sake and so on and so forth, right? And the, the, a person just says that, says that, and that's it. Now we're done. David wrote that psalm. And he wrote that psalm by his experience in God. And in that psalm, here's what he's doing. I am a shepherd. I'm not a hireling. I'm a shepherd of my father's sheep. And when a lion came, to took one little lamb out of the flock, I chased him down and killed him with my bare hands. The anointing of God came upon me to do it. And then all of a sudden a bear came. And when that bear came and took another one out of the flock, I'm not a hireling. A hireling would run or just forsake the flock. But I am not a hireling. I am my father's son. I will watch with my life. I'll lay down my life for these sheep. He chases the bear down. Can you imagine this? And kills the bear. Did you ever see a bear? Did you ever see a lion? Up close? I've been up, I forget where it was at, but it was a plexiglass between my nose and his nose. My head would have been gone in one bite. Little snack. Fill a tooth. And he chased it down and killed it. So he killed the, the lions. He killed the bears. Now it came time, we know later, to face the giants. Right? But I can only imagine him just sitting there after the bear situation, just like, I love these sheep. I take care of these sheep. I lead them where they need to go, help them do what they need to do. But you know what? I'm their shepherd. Who's mine? Who's mine? Who's my shepherd? Who cares for me the way I care for those sheep? And he gazes up into the stars and the sky. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, I may walk to the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Are you seeing it? You've got a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm not afraid. You anoint my head with all my cup runs over. Goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord eternally. 
In other words, that's my position, praise God. That's what I believe, and that's what I know. And because of it, since I didn't leave the sheep, I didn't forsake the sheep, he will not forsake me. And so he graduated from the Detroit Lions to the Chicago Bears to the New York Giants. And if he ever really gets strong, he'd have beat the Cleveland Browns. Let's close it by how can we please God? How can we please God? All right, number one, we can please God by being spiritually minded. Spiritually minded. Look at the book of Romans. And first from the King James translation. Here, a beautiful passage of scripture, the apostle Paul. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk. We're talking about a walk, walking worthy. We started with this. Not after the flesh. But after the spirit, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot, cannot please God. Now, we can't please him without faith, and we can't please him by minding the things of the flesh. Well, let's read this in the other translation I have there for you, the New Living Translation. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So... Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting your spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. So you see, now that we've been born again, we have the life and nature of God in us. But did you notice your flesh doesn't always want to do the things of God? Doesn't want to always serve God, walk with God, honor God, obey God? And a lot of cases doesn't want to even want to get into the Bible and read the Word of God. Did you ever notice that? That you've got to almost force yourself into doing it? Well, think about this. If this is our spiritual food, then it pleases God when we say, I'm not going to mind just the flesh. I'm going to mind the spirit. I'm not just going to feed my, my flesh. I'm going to feed my spirit. I can't mind the things of the spirit if I don't have the mind of God. I can't have the mind of God if I don't get into the Bible because his thoughts are revealed to us right here. So all these people that are out there saying that, you know, live your life the way you want to live your life. And if it feels good, do it and all that sort of thing. You know, I understand where they're coming from, the flesh. But you see, they're not engaged in doing what? Finding out what pleases God. So just find out what pleases God. And you might be out there saying, but I can't do it, but I can't do it. Oh, yes, you can do it. Why? Because you can't do it yourself. You can't do it. Someone else did it for you. And all you have to do is say, okay, Lord, I need your help. Look at what I, I wrote this out. This is from Jerry Lee Lewis. Anybody know Jerry Lee Lewis? Okay. The entertainer. <clears throat> Look at what he said. Jerry Lee Lewis, I was raised in a Christian home, but I couldn't make it. Too weak, I guess. That should be corrected. I don't want to die and go to hell, but I don't think I'm heading in the right direction. I'm lost and undone without God. I should have been a Christian, but I was too weak for the gospel. We will all have to answer to God on Judgment Day. Look at the book of Hebrews 13 now, before I even comment. You know who he is, don't you? Jimmy Swagger's first cousin. So you know that. He was raised in a, reared up in a Christian home. Okay. Look at this verse. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he, are you ready for it? Equip you all, all you need, with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing in him. Hallelujah. You know, all it takes is a simple prayer in the morning. Father, your word says right there, you'll produce in me everything I need to please you today. 
That means you'll arrest my attention when I'm not pleasing you today. That means you'll empower me today to do what you want me to do. And if I miss the mark, thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ that will cleanse me today. But it's a simple matter. You can't do it. I can't do it. But he did it for us. All I have to do is acknowledge it and let him live in me. And he'll equip me to do all that I need to do to please my father. Isn't that good to know? All I've got to do is make a decision to stay in the word. And find out what he says he wants me to do. And he'll equip me to do it. Number two, by not allowing ourselves to get entangled with the things of this world, worldly things. And here in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. Look at what it says. No man that wars, and you're in a war, you realize that, entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We're soldiers. And we want to please him. And so we're not going to be entangled in the affairs of this life to give ourselves over to those things because you follow the example of Moses. Moses had Egypt at his disposal. He could have, Egypt stands for the world. Fame, fortune, success, people bowing to him, taking over the kingdom and the rule and all that. But he chose not to do that. He said, I make a choice. I make a decision to live for God. Whether I suffer, no matter what it is, I'm going to serve God no matter what. And that was his choice. And that's how we have to do it. Look at 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Let's quickly get through this. New Living Translation, do not love this world nor things of the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you know to have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving of physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God, hallelujah, will live how long? forever. You know what he's saying is this, is this. If we cater to the things of the flesh and the world then we'll have greater passion for those things. But if we separate ourselves and just say I'm going to I'm going to cater to the things of the spirit who I have in Christ what I have in Christ and all that. My passion for those things will increase. Whatever I feed I become more passionate about. So if we feed on these things they'll become bigger and bigger and bigger on the inside of us. Can we see that? And so God is saying, I want you to please me. Finally, by serving others. By serving others. Look at the scriptures. Matthew's gospel. By serving others. 20. We please him when we serve other people. Don't live for ourselves, but live for others. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Can I do that? Can I say I'm going to live my life for somebody else, to be a blessing to somebody else? We should. Look at the next verse. Next scripture. 1 John. Hereby perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We owe it to him to lay down our lives for the brethren. That pleases God. In other words, not my will be done, Father, your will be done. And I want to be a blessing to the people that are around me that I associate with Ephesians chapter, chapter 4. First three verses. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy. Remember Paul's prayer? Walk worthy, Lord, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Of the vocation wherewith you are called. How? With lowliness of mind, humility, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so when we live our lives, for example, to say, what can I do to hold the things together in my family? What can I do to hold things together in my relationships with other people? What can I do to be a person that God can use, let's say, to hold a church together, to keep people loving each other, caring for each other, walking in faith together, and believing God together? What can I do? When I commit myself to doing that, praise God, you know what? God's well pleased. I'm not a people pleaser. You see, that serving others not being a people pleaser. A people pleaser is one that says, they want me to do it, so I'm going to do it because they want me to do it, even if it defies the laws of God. No, a servant says, I'm going to serve you from my heart with my life, and I'm going to love you and be a blessing to you. Why? Because the love of God that's in me. Amen. Praise and worship team, come on up here. So, in conclusion, how do we live our lives to please God? By finding out what pleases Him. And then say, I'm committed to doing that. And then saying, but Lord, in my flesh, I don't have the ability to do that. But you know what? I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. And I believe you're going to strengthen me today. Right here, right now, you're going to help me and strengthen me today. This day, may the spirit of obedience rest upon me. This day, would you empower me, equip me with all that I need to carry out your will. I'm going to make choices that honor you. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you failed once today. Let me give you this. Jesus said to Peter, 
No, not seven times, but seven times 70. And if Jesus told us to forgive someone seven times 70, 490 times a day. Now, I don't recommend you go to 491. But if he did the same thing wrong 490 times, he's still going to forgive you today. How can you beat that? How can you not love a God like this and want to please him with your life? He will change you. He will help you. We're going to minister to the Lord right now and just love on him. And just take this moment, right where you sit, just stay seated right there and just love on him. And let him speak to your heart this morning. Say to yourself, Am I pleasing God by learning to walk by faith? By discovering what he wants me to do in his word so I can do it in honor of him? Am I giving myself to him daily? Looking into his word and carrying it out in my life. And then if you say there's some areas that I'm maybe lacking, just repent and just say, sorry, Father, forgive me. But I'm going to start walking in love again. I'm going to stop the gossip. I'm going to stop the immorality, the wrong thinking, the worrying, the fretting, and all that. You know why? Because I want to please you. I trust you with my life. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart, and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.